Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. It's weird because the entire Summers clan was in bathing suits and I so attracted to this entire family. That's probably how Cable feels dating all of the cuckoos. I guess that makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike basically all of those who enter the world, rest in peace that one ragtag group of heroes that had the worst names in existence. No, those were the best fucking characters you're, I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh my like, God. no, and y'all, y'all are lying. What a perfect y'all are segue. for my downfall. I am not here for this. Chongo, if uh, so, again, guys, everybody from last episode, the amazing Chongo is still here, hey. still rocking space with us. Dude, you have to do a design of those characters. They're so fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I have something in the works. Oh, that's the hottest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> X Men number ten by John Hickman and Lionel Francis. You, I've. Never, ever liked Vulcan. I thought Vulcan was cute in X-Men number one. Like, that was adorable. But to me, Vulcan is like the height of man pain comics. He is the ultimate expression of a number of problematic tropes, as well as a number of overutilized tropes. So even the ones that, for me, aren't problematic, like, you know, born of rape and needlessly and mindlessly psychologically tortures others and then we're supposed to ultimately identify with him beyond the problematic tropes the idea that he is this all-powerful mutant we just didn't know about because he was in another person sort of because now what do we call krakoa is krakoa a person now and so then vulcan spent all this time with krakoa and he would have a really special bond with Krakoa. The fact that none of the Deadly Genesis team are of the five shocks the shit out of me. And I am walking away from this issue being like, shit, I love Vulcan. Get me an action figure. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, I found Vulcan problematic in the in the pages of X-Men number 10. I think, like you said, being the height of white male pain comics being unable to communicate his emotional pain to Sway and Petra is the impetus for the action in this issue, and I find that a little bit hard to chew on. But I think that's what I like about it. He's actually incapable, and he's shown as incapable, and then he is damaged by his incapacity as opposed to being praised. He's not rewarded for sucking. He is... He survives. And I guess if survival is reward, like if we want to look at it like as like um, like kind of like almost elements of a moral play, I really do hear what you're saying. For me, I think he didn't receive enough benefit for this to have been, but it's okay that you're a failure. Right. So there's something weird about this issue. There's things that 
don't seem to line up very well for me. Like, do you also think Sway and Petra are just in his head? I don't think it's just in his head. I think he's dreaming. Um, because one, they have, they're getting a, a weird brain freeze from a non-frozen drink, first of all. They seem to keep calling him Emperor, kind of like how those insects-like aliens were calling him King and referring to his empire. Sway and Petra know about the fire that's in him, and they say it in, or they refer to it in a singy-songy kind of way. And then there's that last page, or the second to last page, where the note from Cyclops starts where it says that you were asleep and I didn't want to wake you. So I think that he's dreaming this whole time. I think to merge both ideas, I think this is something of an astral projection. I think that they may be in his head and he might be asleep, but that wouldn't give him any cognizance to the Kotati's presence on the moon. Um, but I definitely think that there is a lot to Kyle's argument and, and to Nico's argument to say that they are, they are incorporeal at best. Well, the funny thing is, like, um, Vulcan had... All his stuff involves space, so he never really had any impact on Earth, per se. If anyone should have any animosity towards him, it would be Havoc more than any other person of the Summers clan. Havoc, Rachel, absolutely. They have all the claim to the hate on him. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I feel like him being this defunct wannabe ruler or emperor and the fact that like he's numbing himself to this whole experience by being drunk the whole goddamn time we've seen him on the pages is saying more about him as a person of like he doesn't want to feel anything he doesn't want to feel his failures he doesn't want to feel his guilt he doesn't want to feel the remorse of like what he's done to his family what he could have done to the world at large and then you get the whole reveal that, like, oh, by the way, a whole alien race took away his badness and suppressed it. So he's only good now, but he'll technically always be bad. So it's one of those things where I'm like, is that why he's drinking himself into this stupor? Because he knows deep down inside of himself, he will never be a good person. That's why I thought the speech that he had with the Kotadi leader was so good because he's like saying, listen. I understand this. I understand wanting to take over Earth. I understand that the humans are leave you wanting as a species and wanting to rule. Humans them. are basically garbage. Basically, right? And then him not like then get it seated and gets taken over because they see what's inside of him and they know they can use that to their advantage. I want to talk about Petra and Sway for half a moment. I made a joke earlier that, you know, just talk about them for being over sexualized. Uh, if it is a dream of Vulcan, I can maybe buy that, but I feel like they're really skimming the line of the Bechdel test with them. I really don't see the purpose of them being in this issue. They didn't really add anything to me and was a little reductive. I don't even know who Sway is. Petra, I barely know. I've only heard of her name, so I am just really confused as to their inclusion. Well, Sway, Petra, and Vulcan, along with sort of X-Mainstay Darwin, 
were a part of an interim team of X-Men sent out to Krakoa to rescue the original X-Men before Charles pulled together the giant-sized team. This retcon was introduced roughly 2006 by Ed Brubaker, uh, Trevor Harrison, in a book called X-Men Deadly Genesis, which was a six-issue miniseries establishing Vulcan, the lost Summers brother, and the missing team of X-Men. Later on, the team from that book would move over to Uncanny X-Men along with the help of Billy Tan. They would write The Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire, which was the most underwhelming X-Men space epic ever. I said it. So Sway and Petra are kind of the and girl from that run sort of kind of getting their turn. They're there. That that beautiful moment on the beach, uh, Teen Cable, so sexy. That's really the only thing we didn't touch on. The Summers Clan having a luau. It was just hot. Yeah. So fucking hot. <laughs> and- I kind of regret that we didn't get a closer view of Wolverine. Because I'm like, I wanted to see what he's packing. It, it looked like he was so, in an animal print board short. Like a tiny chubby board right. short. Yep. Like a like a set like well, a seven inch you know or a five inch inseam. <laughs> I can absolutely answer that question for you using another one of our books, almost sort of, kind of. So funny enough, once upon a time there was a run of X Men known as New X Men, and New X Men featured an arc called Assault on Weapons Plus, which is going to be referenced repeatedly in the pages of Giant Size Phantom X. At one point, while the Hellfire Club is a club, a bar, as it were, and not an institution of higher murder, Sabretooth and Wolverine are standing alongside each other at the urinal, and Sabretooth says, I never understood. What is it you got that I ain't got? And Logan just sort of backs up, and Sabretooth looks down in abject horror and goes, <gasps> and Logan says, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> so, I believe, I believe the answer is what he's packing is physically blocked by two people for a reason. There are children there. Well, actually, I'm not conv- I've act- So, Rachel Chronoskims and Cable is a million. I actually think they're both older than their parents right now. Which is a funny paradox. They are. <laughs> that would ex- also explain why Jean didn't show up at Genosha. She was, uh, busy. Yeah. Well, speaking of fucking too many people, right now, I do believe my, you know, zappy zap eye and board shorts extraordinaire, my- Singular one, the Ascani, the great chosen, my beautiful boy, Cable, is Mac Daddying up with the five strongest teen psychics there have ever. And I'm. <sighs> so Jerry Dugan and Phil Noto are delivering a fractured fairy tale through the lens of so far two different genres. The first issue gave us a story through the lens of a tribal sort of kind of like council. It felt very, his interpretation of Krakoa feels very the water tribe in a lot of ways. And now here we get sort of a crime drama. We get sort of this beautiful fantasy noir. I think through that lens, I really do think this is not misogynistic. I believe that everybody is totally on the up and up. There are no secrets. And as a polyamorous person, I think because no one is being manipulated or lied to, and the five uh, in one can't keep any secrets from each other, except for possibly Esme, but I don't know. She was coming between him and his sandwich, so all I could think was that poor sandwich. 
I'm really pro cable and cuckoo. I would also like to mention, I know this probably happened earlier and years ago. I'm so happy they changed her name to Mindy so they're no longer the Spice Girls. Oh, but I loved when they were That's the a lie. Spice you told me you were very upset over that when they gave them names. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it happened, it was dumb, but now it's cute because it happened then. It's like... When it happened, when I first read it, Bird Brain is the worst thing that ever happened to the New Mutants. But going back and rereading it, it's funny that he's the worst thing that ever happened to the New Mutants. It's like weird reverse nostalgia, isn't it? It's like, I hated it when it was, but now that I remember it, I remember it fun. Absolutely. So let's dive right in with Cable number two. Cable, right? Cable, you know, for all that Cable is a noir crime thing going on at the moment... We got so much X of Swords in that one moment, or Ten of Swords, Ten of X of, Ten of Swords. We got so much Ten of Swords, and we have magical space people, and I need it. I was not expecting these uh, space knights, these are space knights, right? Yes. To be appearing here, uh, but I mean, they, they kind of laid that this arc down way back when... They gave Cable that sword in X-Men 2? X-Men 1? I don't remember. I believe it was X-Men 2. He had it in X-Men 2, but he retrieved it in Cable number 1. Yeah. You know, and in that way, I feel like this was a natural progression for the second issue of Cable. My issue was I was so intrigued with what else was going on. I appreciated Junior Detective Cable so much. I appreciated Cable and Esme teaming up. You know, this is you took Sophie to a two-star Michelin restaurant. You broke her into the Louvre after hours. Like, that That was the heart of the issue for me. Yeah, but it only tasted like a one-star. It only tasted like a one-star. And so in that regard, I was <laughs> I was shocked. I read digitally, and so I, I scrolled to the next panel, and I saw the Space Knights, and I literally said, God damn it. God damn it, No. Right, because you wanted more. Because I wanted more, <laughs> and I knew the second that they showed up, it was going to be the end of the issue. It was going to be Space Night Conflict, and sure enough, it was. Listen, as someone who doesn't like Cable at all, I've actually found this his first two issues very entertaining. I think they are designed to be palatable to an age of comics that isn't really interested in Old Man Cable anymore. Old Man Cable iteration became Old Man Logan, became Old Man Clint, became Old Man Star-Lord. And we now I really need an old woman She-Hulk. But oh my I God, yes. don't think we really have room for Old Man Cable anymore because so many of the X-Men have aged into Old Mandom. So Old Man Cable is reductive. We've seen it before. We want to see young Cable, the son of... Cyclops get to be the son of Cyclops, right. maybe even for a change. Right. Can you actually see old man Cable, like, going to the beach and relaxing and having a fun family moment? I know that the Marvel Swimsuit Specials told me it's possible, but I don't really buy it. <laughs> I think part of the problem is the narrative here is so secondary to what the actual story is meant to provide. This is a character growth book. We're going to get these side stories that like, you know, they're investigating a mutant child. And I love that we're reinforcing, you know, this for me reinforced everything that X-Men Fantastic Four did in four issues to say, this is the problem between humans and mutants right now. Cable number two delivered characterization of everyone in it. And that's the hallmark of a powerful writer for me. 
whether it was Emma and Scott having a loving, if tense, moment, Cable having several complicated moments showcasing that he's still a man of action as well as his own person, or any of the development for Ten of Swords, these issues might feel a little light, in part because in a Phil Noto book, you put the emphasis on Phil Noto, you put the emphasis on showtelling, art, storytelling, that kind of thing. But I just really thought this was a fun, light read. Yeah, I actually really took a lot out of this issue because they kept some of the stuff that made old Van Cable kind of interesting during the Messiah Wars, where like he is a protector of children. He he has such a deep like fathership of wanting to make sure that the children are always safe. So having that tied into this story was really cool for me. It's that idea of fathership that I feel like that's maybe why I kind of hate that Scott's always on Chandelar, but I kind of love it because at least he's with his family. There's a lot of nuance, and I'm glad we're getting the books we're getting. Did anybody have a, like a standout moment where they were like, okay, I buy this Cable book, even if I wasn't crazy about Cable initially? I think him dating the Cuckoos absolutely has to be that. The Cuckoos being revealed to have a diamond form? Uh, I'll that, yes. that was cool. And I think that's probably one of those they got regenerated through Krakoa and they're doing like best case sequences. Well, I mean, they are Emma's kids, so I assume that that they would also eventually develop that secondary mutation if they haven't already. Well, yeah, they've developed it before. They've had it, they've actually done it in a previous story. I can't remember when, but they've done it before. I think it might have been Warsong. I think they it had a diamond War Song. Warsong. Yes, that's what it is. It's that idea of tying back into hallmarks of the X-Men franchise and specifically tying back into the point at which Warsong happened and Giant Size Phantom X does some beautiful things to my brain. Jonathan Hickman and Rod Reyes put together a storytelling experience, whether it's the touches back to the Howling Commandos without really naming them that. Or it's jumping through all the best points in Marvel history and giving us the greatest side characters of all time. (laughs) I genuinely think that in a line of giant size X-Men's that I've loved, I know that they haven't all gotten the greatest fan response, but I've really particularly enjoyed all of them tremendously. This stood out as one of the strongest and, you know, I I don't want to say it's exclusively because of the Humongonauts, but, um, yeah, I think there's a special space in my heart for Red Eye, Emotapool, Rustbot, and Mohawk Person that I haven't felt filled since the Animal Weapon Plus people. You see, but the Animal Weapon Plus people <laughs> were genius, beautiful, amazing, and we stand Dr. Echo. That's number one. <laughs> These people look like rejected Borderlands characters. So I thank yeah. you. That's what I thought. <laughs> okay, I, like, oh, I can see that. <laughs> now, Maddie, I know Phantom X is a character that you very much like. So, how did it feel seeing Phantom X reinterpreted into the history of the Marvel Universe as a major player along the lines of a Nick Fury or a Captain America? You know, it felt right. It felt just, and it it definitely it definitely serves with the theme of these giant size X-Men's, which is the warping or skewing of perspective. I definitely think every journey into the world, if we didn't have the the little yellow text blurb saying that it was a decade past or two decades past every time, you know, to, to affirm the history behind it all, 
it definitely feels like time works in a vacuum, you know, in the world, which of course it does. But I definitely think to see him poised in so many different periods of our history was really fulfilling. And fulfilling. Yes, that's the word for me. Fulfilling. Yeah, with this story was interesting. Besides the name that it's called Charlie and the Baby Factory, which is hilarious. <laughs> I love the fact that it felt like this was like his life of Moyer McTaggart story. It felt like this is the life oh, of Phantom X. Because you got to see like different iterations of like him storming the world with different people each time. And like how it changed the story for him. Gosh, that that luscious Hellfire Club sequence yes. is so important to me because, again, the first time we went to the world in this capacity was Assault on Weapons Plus, which took place in the Hellfire Club at one point. And there was something so compelling about the way this touched on history and then that last page of just not a decade later was I uh, it's hard for me to say how much the art did for me as well I felt like every one of these was a painted experience through time in many ways it felt like chrono skimming with Phantom X <laughs> my only complaint was there was not enough Eva oh yes yeah. there was no Eva you know, and now Eva's not there now and I know that but she's such a vital component of his earlier stories we should have seen her in the howling commando story we should have seen her in the hellfire club story eva is not to me a pet or a sentinel she is an equal creature she is an equal person she is on that krakoa level so it did feel kind of weirdly like disrespect fridging a woman out of her book in favor of an evil male. It's like you, you, it's basically having Doctor Who with no TARDIS. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. That's a really good way to put it. It's in so many ways, like the Doctor leaving behind his TARDIS, or, and like, I genuinely mean this. If you took manipulative telepathy out of Xavier, what would you have? <laughs> a decent human being. Are you sure? No. You'd have a bald guy with skinny legs and it's not his fault. (laughs) But who loves screwing his students in his mind? (laughs) I just love how surreal the art in the world is, and especially once you get to like the um, humongonauts. I mean, if when you see them being attacked by the the security, and there's just so many amazing things. Like there's a cat in a space helmet yes. holding a gun in the middle of, of <laughs> the air. You've got a toy robot. And see, that cat for me is like that is Maddie's spirit familiar. <laughs> oh my god, one thousand percent. Without without question, that is your spirit familiar. Bang bang. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, just to even key into that, it's that each thing he did like that looks like the art it's meant to reference mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Yeah, even with like the little quiet scenes, like thankfully we got another uh person in their beach gear with him just sitting there sipping his drink in the beach. I was like, man, even like such a wolfy boy, right? 
I was like, God, that that's so beautiful. And then you get the crazy fun scenes where like Wolverine and Cyclops at a bar getting drunk. I love it. Which the touchback to how beautifully that referenced the Bacalo art from right? Assault on Weapons Plus and the way that last sequence, I could feel the Russell Dowderman from Giant Size Jean Grey number one. Sorry, Giant Size Jean Grey, Emma Frost, number one. I just, I just can't. I just, I walked away from this issue fulfilled with, like, this was his own little slice of Histmoo. This was his own little history of the Marvel Universe. And we saw how Phantom X is actually an important figure in the Marvel Universe in kind of a Nick Fury, cable kind of way. And if we're going to transition Cable into this new iteration, this younger form, so that they don't have to use Josh Brolin twice... I think then that transitioning Phantom X to the old soldier is a really beautiful nod to the ways to advance his character. And it even does harken back a little bit to the kind of sort of exceptional mystery of his introduction. I really enjoy that this was pretty much a setup for what I'm assuming is going to be giant-sized Storm. Because... It's all leading up to figuring out how to cure her illness or whatever it is that she's been infected with. And having these characters working with Phantom X to enter the world, I'm excited to see where this goes. I think Big Big Roro is going to have a really phenomenal conclusion to this story in a way that is going to be really positive all around. I think seeing cypher here made me understand a little better how giant size nightcrawler matters right that was definitely a pivotal understanding i'm just eager to understand how giant size magneto matters because it can't not right like it felt like that book out of all these giant size kind of stands separate from these other stories because there's there's at least a thread of like story going through all of them, except for the the Magneto one. We forgot something about the Magneto one, that there was a dropped, or what we assumed was a dropped plot. Magneto, once he finished fighting that uh, sea creature, Kraken. The, the Kraken, uh, it's always it's a always a Kraken. <laughs> he received a key that was never used. Oh shit. Well, goddamn! Wow. That would be something. Well, dick Phantom X down and spin me right round. <laughs> that is something else. You know, and it's that sort of ride that Hickman has taken us on the last couple of, ye- last couple of years. Wow, it's barely been a year. And I feel like the X-Men are gloriously unrecognizable, but identical to the ideology that makes me compelled to love them. Guys, we're looking back on five of the craziest issues I can remember. Empire number four, where you convince me it's okay to kill She-Hulk and also marry my gay couple off panel. X-Men number two, which is about a bunch of old ladies and the X-Men fighting plant zombies. We segue over to X-Men number 10, which I don't know if is like a psychological white man torture porn sequence, but it (laughs) might be. And then we take a look at cable number two, where... Scott Summers' formerly much older child is now dating the five-part clones of his possible poly lover's ovum. And 
so because she didn't have these kids. They were stolen from her. It's really tragic. And now we're in giant size Phantom X, which Kyle in a loud gasp, which, buddy, you best believe I'm leaving that in the audio uh, with a loud gasp, realized the key from Magneto had a purpose. This might guys hold on to your dicks, guys. This is crazy. And I got to know, walking away from these books, Chongo. What was your big takeaway from this? What was like, you're like, oh, fuck, looking back, that was my moment this week. Oh, wow. That's a big ask. <laughs> um, for me, it's always going to be the seeds that are planted for future things to come. Because reading through all these, I'm like, ah, I know what they're trying to do there. They're prepping for this, so they're going from there. So I just love seeing all the seeds that get planted, like from, you know, seeing what's going to happen with Storm, to seeing what's going to happen with Horticulture, to seeing what happens with X of Swords. Like, there's a lot of things that I feel like are going to come to fruition soon from what we've read so far. I have no question, and I cannot wait to see your increasing number of amazing Marvel designs over at your shop, as well as any other designs that stoke the embers of your heart, right? And remind us, man... Where can we find your incredible designs so that we can either buy them for ourselves or so people can check out which one they might want to get? Guys, don't forget, we're giving away two of his shirts. Anyone you want, just retweet to be entered. Where can everybody find that again? You can find it at my Public shop. It's under my name, C-H-A-N-G-O-A-T-X, Chango A-T-X, which is also my handle on all my social media platforms. Dude, it has been such a pleasure having you, and I can't wait to have you back to talk even more awesome X-Books, and hopefully we'll have you back on another one with Empire so you can give us any new updates we might need to understand. Absolutely. I'm here when you need me. Oh, sounds fucking awesome. So I don't know if anybody else thought this, but I thought that when they marked the baby with the diamond, I was like, baby sinister. Oh, wait, no, this isn't giant size sinister. <laughs> I was so disappointed it wasn't that secretly sinister had so much to do with Phantom X's birth. Um, so I sad. love that Phantom X keeps his mask on at the beach, which means he probably gets the worst tan lines ever. I find that hysterical. I was also just very confused this entire issue, but the art was so pretty. So I just smiled and nodded and was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, but I did scream internally at the references to new X-Men and that the, I believe that it's number 15. Ultimaton. Twin brother. Fascinating. Yeah, I love Ultimaton. I think that's one of the best designs I he have ever seen He kind of looks like Scuba Sam. <laughs> That being said, I think it was a really interesting giant-sized insert X-Men character because a lot of the plot only connected to the overall giant-sized series that we've been getting towards the very end where this was more as to what Nico was saying, that this was basically the history of Phantom X, who's a character that I love, you know, minus Eva, who's not here Boo. That being said, I think most of these books that we've covered, you know, have been pretty good about their plots. Maybe some misses here or there, but I think that they've tried to push forward the narratives that that have been set up for them, whether they're trying to play chicken with other writers of what they can get away with or trying to, you know, find very loose threads to connect them together. 
I am decently excited to see where any of these stories can go. Kyle, what will we be covering next time? Next time, we'll be covering Empire number five, Empire X Men number three, Marauders number eleven, and X Force number eleven. But until then, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Maddie, where can everybody find you? Well, you can find me anxiously awaiting Marauders number 11 over on Instagram at, at the basely covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me going into the world with my own band of heroes that will never be seen again, most likely, which is unfortunate. But maybe they'll have decent designs, or maybe not. Who knows? Certainly not me. On Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me wondering why Phantom X didn't appear with the Ecstatics crew for any reason. It's <laughs> Phantom X and Dead Girl, hot-ass couple. <clears throat> but also, you guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like X's for Podcast, HTML, and Too Fast, Too Forever all summer long. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram and Twitter over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, it shouldn't have to be said, but let's remember, trans dreams matter, black lives matter. Vote like your weakest friend's life depends on it because this time it does. Please keep in mind the most important thing you can arm yourself with is information. Information is power and make sure you're getting it from unbiased sources. The only bias that is okay is protecting lives. And guys, until next time, keep those mutant lights lit and those Krakoan gateways open. We will see ya. Bye-bye. I love you, man.